What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Lowe's knows you'll do it right. And do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Take the baseline out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, definitely, totally, really posterized someone in pickup basketball the night before we recorded this co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. Um, by the time, uh, excuse me, before we get started, uh, I just want to continue reminding, imploring, begging, pleading with everyone to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. We really appreciate it when we see the numbers go up. Um, so if you can take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day, search Hardwood Knox on iTunes. Give us a five. Mirai is Japanese for the future. And in the future, your commute will be less expensive because now you can get a special lease on a Toyota Mirai. Powered by hydrogen, it emits only water. And Toyota will cover three years worth of your fuel costs up to $15,000. You'll also get three years no-cost scheduled maintenance, HOV lane access, and may be eligible for a $5,000 state rebate. The future sounds pretty good, huh? Get your special lease on a Mirai today. See San Francisco Toyota or click the banner for details. Toyota, let's go places star rating and then leave your review with any comments or feedback that you might have uh we really do appreciate it we're also asking that you continue to just suggest us to family friends frenemies enemies people you really truly hate and want to see consume terrible basketball takes um every little bit helps so thank you there you can also find us wherever you get your podcasts other than spotify still which is taking forever to be pushed through so subscribe rate review us there if you can but also the itunes thing as always you can get 15 percent off at the nba math shop nbamath.com slash shop promo code benno b-e-n-o now we get to the question that everyone's been dying to know since the rockets traded ryan anderson and d'anthony melton to the phoenix suns for brandon knight and marquise chris andy how are you doing I'm doing good. Um, like you said, I was playing some pickup ball. I, I did not posterize anyone. Um, I was telling my wife after I got home that I, I play at most, like half speed nowadays. And last night there was no big there, so I like purposely didn't even jump the whole time, and yet my legs are just dying <laughs> today. Um, you got to get so your LeBron cryo chambers or whatever he sleeps in. 
Yeah, that'd be nice. Or I could just lose like 50 pounds and and your intros about posterizing people could suddenly be true again. Um, but yeah, I was like, like you said, I was playing some ball last night. I picked up my phone as soon as I was done, saw the Woj bomb notification and I saw Ryan Anderson and I think my interest was maybe a little peaked when I first saw that. But then as I kind of looked at the rest of the trade, I just, I, I don't know, I was almost indifferent to it. Um, and I haven't digested too much reaction to it since then. So this is, this is kind of my first time talking through this trade, I guess if you're Houston, um, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about the individual players they got the, the big win for them is getting rid of Ryan Anderson without having to give up a first round pick, right? Yeah, without question. I think if you, if you end up penciling in like whatever D'Anthony Melton's salary was going to be, they, they save a, uh, few million dollars which you know comes off their luxury tax bill but also i would think that you know you if you just look at i guess if you broke it down this way next summer uh brandon knight 15.6 million dollars on an expiring deal probably exponentially easier to move than ryan anderson who will be making i think it's like 21 and change at that point 21.3 21.3 million for Ryan Anderson. So I would it think that Brandon Knight's easier to move. Yeah, I think that's true. And in previous episodes, um, we've kicked around the idea that they might have had to give up two first-round picks just to unload this deal. Um, I think I think you texted me last night that you're like at least cautiously optimistic about Brandon Knight. I, I really have no idea how to feel about it in terms of an actual basketball fit. I think he's probably instantly a better backup point guard than Michael Carter Williams. And who knows what they're doing with Michael Carter Williams at this point. But I, I, I don't know. What do we expect out of Brandon Knight after missing the entire season of the ICL um, last year and kind of struggling for two or three years prior to that? I, I need to pull up his numbers and kind of see, because it seems like it's been basically a downward slide since that really good year he had in Milwaukee. Um, he's still scoring a lot since that season. Like he, he averaged nearly 20 in 15, 16 with the Suns. Um, but his advanced numbers, um, they have definitely been sort of on the decline since then. And he's only played 50 some games in 15, 16 and 16, 17. And then of course he missed the whole season in 17, 18. So there's going to be a lot of health questions for him. Um, what's what's the reason for optimism? I think it's just, for me, Brandon Knight was probably always a little bit miscast. Even when he was having those good years in Milwaukee, they weren't great offensive teams. And there are a little, there's a little tinge of empty calories to the production he was putting up. But if you use him as the Rockets are going to use him, where you're looking at him to secure some backup point guard minutes or just be used as your fourth or fifth guard on the roster. And now you're able to play off a bunch of really good playmakers, a bunch of talented scorers when you throw Eric Gordon to the equation and then maybe Carmelo Anthony, uh, it might simplify his life. And the thing I kind of looked to, and again, we're dealing with, we're looking back because he didn't play last season. Um, and his shooting was not great in 
2016-2017 off the catch. He shot 31% on catch-and-shoot threes, um, but he shot 37.8% on spot-up threes through 2014-2015 and 2015-2016. And in 2016-2017, he shot 51.3% when using between three and six dribbles. And so there is that possible element of secondary off-the-bounce creation if any team is going to tap into it, I would think it's the Rockets, given how they ran their offense last year. And so maybe you're getting yourself just a a poor man's Eric Gordon when it comes, not poor man's even, that, that's actually probably putting it a little bit too lowly, but maybe you're just getting your, you're just unlocking that extra layer of the off the bounce shot creation, which could help you. Um, he shot well at the rim in 2016, 2017 too, I believe. And so, or at least by his career standards. And if, if you're going to, again, bake in more spot-up threes, more wide-open threes, less work overall at the offensive end, he's probably someone who could, uh, when he's healthy, help you. And what this, what this also does is kind of interesting, really makes the Rockets' front court rotation super small. But we're at the point where... You know, you have Chris, but my my guess would be that the Rockets play him a bunch at the five. Yeah, I would think he's a five for Houston. Yeah, and so Nene's probably pretty ticked about this trade. But I I would, like, who is, you're looking at some of the small forward minutes, probably have to go to Michael Carter-Williams at this point, right? And now P.J. Tucker and Carmelo Anthony are just, aside from the minutes that Tucker might spend as a small ball five, like, those guys are just fours now. Uh, and maybe you even see, maybe it gets weird and you see Michael Carter Williams locks of minutes at the four. Who knows? Yeah, my next question was going to be. Um, oh, and to correct myself, Brandon Knight was terrible at the rim in 2016-2017. It was 2015-2016, 62.4% career high inside three feet of the basket, which still isn't great. Uh, I don't think Houston necessarily needs him like to leverage a threat uh, to get to the basket, though. If he can hit shots from a standstill position on the perimeter and maybe a, a, a couple pull-up jumpers, uh, that would probably be them getting their money's worth. It will be interesting to see how much different he might look as a, as a fourth guard. Um, Cause that's as high on the depth chart as he's probably going to get this season. I, I have a hard time seeing him leapfrogging um, Eric Gordon, who's been a pretty important part of, this, you know, really good run that Houston's been on the last couple of years. Um, so like you said, maybe maybe he was just sort of miscast in those first few years where he was a lead guard or, or at worst, the number two. Um, it will definitely be interesting to see him as the number four. Earlier this summer, did you ever listen to the podcast where Daryl Morey straight up made fun of himself for signing Michael Carter-Williams? <laughs> I... I think I vaguely remember it. I don't know if I was it the low it was, post he was on. What was he on? It was a it was a live ringer podcast. Okay, yeah. I don't know if it was the Ringer NBA show or the Bill Simmons podcast, but if you just search Daryl Morey on the, the podcast apps, you'll probably find it. But he makes a little quip about <laughs> them signing Michael Carter Williams, which I thought was hilarious. And now um if you just look at their summer, it, it, Put all the people that they added to this team this summer. It looks, it looks like it's Daryl Morey just 
joking. Um, <laughs> there's so many guys that don't seem at first glance to fit what they've been trying to build for the last few years. Brandon Knight, Michael Carter-Williams, Marquise Chris. Um, I think you could probably talk yourself into James Ennis more than the rest of them. And it sounds like maybe you're, you're a little bit higher on the Brandon Knight acquisition than I am, but, oh, and then of course, Carmelo Anthony, that's the one I was missing. <laughs> um, it seems like a massive sort of everybody else's usual for him. Are they going to change the way they play at all? Or can these guys, can these guys work with what they've been doing in the last two years? Is it this year just going to be tons of, Chris Paul and, and James Harden isos. And I don't know, I guess you just hope for Mello hitting more open shots than he did last year. Um, to me, there's a couple, and I, I guess Marquise Chris kind of fits the mold because maybe you can just <laughs> park him in the corner. And I, I think he'd be thrilled if, if you told him that's all you got to do on offense is sit over there and, and shoot threes as soon as it comes to you. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. It seems like the anti Maury summer almost. I mean, if they're just going to have Marquis Chris shoot threes, I don't know why you're going to have him on the court. Just because he hasn't shown enough to me as a shooter. Um, oh, yeah. His his volume for 36 minutes has basically been the same. 4.6 attempts per 36 minutes and 4.5 um, through his rookie and sophomore seasons, respectively. 30.9% from three for his career. Uh 34 point, he shot 37% between 16 feet and the three-point line last year. Maybe that's something you could work with. But I would think you just try and make him another pick-and-roll dive guy uh, with some trampoline yeah. pop, perhaps. Uh, it's, I, I don't do we call it the anti-Mori summer? Because, I, I mean, maybe you do, because Mello uh, does like to indulge his mid-range game, long-two game, more than occasionally is probably the way to put it. Uh, I don't, I think you're right. I don't think their play style is going to change that much. I do wonder if now when you look at Brandon Knight and Carmelo Anthony, and maybe you throw Eric Gordon in there having those three, do you think it's more pivotal than ever that they stagger minutes to a T? Harden and Paul are going to have to play more together just because they should fit and they're familiar with each other. And at this point, I don't I don't think that you can stagger them as heavily because you need at the bare minimum to get Carmelo Anthony some me time or put him in a position where he's really only playing with one of those guys um, for offensive reasons. And that one should probably be Chris Paul because you have to factor in the defensive uh, trades off as well. I, yeah. But is this a, or is this a situation where you think there's just going to be three of these guys on the court at basically all times? Uh, Chris Paul, Harden, and there's always just basically going to be a Mello or a Brandon Knight or an Eric Gordon. And the way this roster is set up, technically you could have four. of We could be looking at Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon or Brandon Knight, and then Carmelo Anthony lineups. That's wild. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past uh, D'Antoni, though. Mellow with the five would actually be like. Oh, I wasn't even saying that. I was saying like one of Knight or Gordon, but that would be. Oh, okay. But I thought thought you were laying out Paul Harden, uh, Gordon, and Knight, just like a four guard. um, I don't even know what you would call that. That's like a super small lineup, and then you know whoever at the five. And I thought you put Mark Mellow there. Well, Um, I mean, is that the next step for Mellow at this point? Because he's not really this 
huge mismatch at the four anymore. You move him to the five, and maybe he becomes this mismatch again. Yeah, I I don't know what you do defensively. Um, You would you would probably need more sort of bulldogs on the perimeter than just Chris Paul if you were going to get away with that. But I think you're right. Every once in a while, I still I still hear people say stuff like. Can so and so play the four because he's going to take a pounding? He, you know, he doesn't want all that stress on his body over those minutes. And I always think there there just aren't that many fours like that anymore. And maybe the next step is, like you said, um, shifting those guys down even one more position. I think every team in the NBA within the next couple of years is going to have to have at least one or two positionless lineups that they can go to. Um, and maybe, maybe mellow at the five is is something that actually happened. That would be wild to me. But it, like as we're talking about it, it doesn't seem too crazy. Something I wondered before this trade was whether there was a lot of talk about how will Mello react to not closing games because you need to throw James Ennis in there. He's someone who probably will spend some time at the four this year. I know I joked to be Michael Carter Williams, but it'll probably be Ennis before it's MCW. I originally wondered whether it could impact Clint Capella, where maybe he's not the one closing games. And you have P.J. Tucker at the five with Mello at the four, James Harden and Chris Paul, and then let's say Ennis as your fifth. Do you think that makes this trade makes that any more likely, or does it not impact it, impact it at all? Or when you look at the entire game and how now you're going to have Brandon Knight, um, Mello, uh, James Harden playing heavy minutes that maybe Clint Capella is that much more important because you need that defensive hub uh, in crunch time. Yeah, I think whether or not Capella finishes games is is basically going to depend on matchup. And the only... I mean, he's going to have a hard time staying on the floor against the Warriors, which is what happened in the playoffs. But other than that, I would expect him to play quite a bit more than he did last season. I remember always being a little bit confused by his minutes. I think he was in the twenties again last season. And I need to that to make sure, um, you know, now Nene is another year older. Um, I think Capella showed a lot over the court. Yeah. He played 27 and a half minutes and he averaged 14 and 11 in just 27 and a half minutes. Um, if he gets four or five more minutes, that's he, he could post some, monster numbers this season and I think occasionally you may run into a team like the Warriors who can make things difficult for him and maybe you close with a smaller lineup maybe even you know in theory Marquise Chris should be more able to handle small ball lineups but I don't think you know basketball IQ wise he's anywhere near Capella right now. Uh, this is an interesting thing for Chris, too. I wonder what this does for his career. Maybe we can talk about that, too. But um, for the most part, I, I, I think the general thing for Capella this season is going to be co- to continue that breakout that he had last season. I think he's going to get a lot more minutes. I think he's probably going to close just about every game, with the exception of maybe the Warriors. Um but like I said, it will be interesting to see what happens with Marquise Chris. I feel like a lot of people probably had given up on him at this point after just two seasons. He's still only 21. Um, I 
I don't really feel one way or the other about him. I hadn't really given up, but at the same time, I wasn't really expecting him to, you know, have a breakout anytime soon. Does being in Houston and playing with these, you know, two of the best point guards of all time and Harden and Chris Paul and playing for D'Antoni, who, who seems to unlock a lot of offense and a lot of guys, does this help Marquise Chris get him, you know, on track to, I don't even know what, (laughs) Um, better, better than his prospects looked in Phoenix. I would say, I would say yes, because the playing time thing is going to be an issue. He's not going to have as much freedom in Houston. And he's certainly not going to have the leeway when you look at his minutes where the Suns tried to let him work through mistakes, but he was last year. He averaged 0.09 points per role man possession. And I think that's really bad, by the way. That's in the 14th percentile for anyone who couldn't. He shot uh, 42.1% in those situations, which, again, is the the role man is just really, really bad. Uh, But Houston gives you more space um, that Phoenix just really didn't have last year. This isn't to say that Chris was a lot better in 2016, 2017 as the role man. He actually was not. Uh, 0.87 points per role man possession. 38.9% 38.9% shooting, 21st percentile, again, really bad. That does seem like it's his best offensive role, though. And maybe he doesn't have the size to perfect it. He is, uh, he's 6'10", I think, and that might, I would wonder if maybe he's, having seen him in person, maybe he's closer to 6'9". But, and and that's not necessarily the perfect role man size. Uh, perhaps you can explore his jump shot because teams are just going to leave him alone. And if you can get him to hit some corner threes, um, that increases his value. Basically, I just think that the the space on offense that Houston generates with its shot distribution, with its point guards um, or primary playmakers in James Harden and Chris Paul, that's going to benefit him. I don't necessarily know where he fits in on defense for a team that already seems like it's suffered defensively this offseason by losing Ariza and Bob Mute. That being said as well, he's not, I don't think he's going to hurt them any more than Ryan Anderson would have, who was, there was yeah. this point last year where he was okay in isolations and, and in the post, but it just, that started to kind of fall apart. And so I honestly, I, it's so tough what to make of this for the Rockets. I could see it. I probably look at it this way for them it nudges what was a lower ceiling from last year a little bit higher when you look at the Brandon Knight position and uh, acquisition. And I don't think it hurts to take a flyer on Marquise Chris as he's going into his third year, was an eighth overall pick. He has been bad. And there was just a lot on Twitter like, oh, this the Rockets were able to get a top eight prospect in the Ryan Anderson trade. And it's like, no, uh, that's not what he is right now. It's just uh, – and so – Without and so they've done all this without effectively to me lowering their floor because you haven't quite acquired anyone who needs to play. Uh, it would be interesting though to wonder have they and I know I'm going in all different directions with this, but have they now compromised their floor spacing a little bit because you could at least count on Ryan Anderson to park himself like 28 feet from the basket and just chuck catch and shoot threes. Now you're getting someone in Chris who doesn't really have established three point range. Brandon Knight, who will shoot threes, but you don't know how well. And you lost Trevor Ariza. You lost Bob Mute, who shot the three ball well last year. Carmelo Anthony was kind of a wild card from three. He's 
there have been seasons where he's been better than expected from deep. And, and I think the fit with Houston, as I've said before, is just a lot cleaner offensively than, than people are, are thinking at the moment. But he hasn't exactly been this knockdown shooter either. 35.7% from three last year. And if you isolate just the past four seasons specifically, he's at 35.1%. Fine, but that's not that's not even league average during that time. So that's another interesting element of this trade. But ultimately, I do think that the Rockets have elevated their ceiling without ever so slightly elevated what was a lower ceiling to begin with because of the way their offseason kind of unfolded and knowing they have to get past the Warriors. Um, they've elevated that lowered ceiling already slightly without, to me, uh, jeopardizing the, their floor. Yeah, I think I actually think Ryan Anderson was better than people realized last season. The fact that he completely fell out of Houston's rotation, I think maybe soured the way some people viewed him. And like you said, just having him on the floor and willing to jack it from like five or six feet beyond the line, there was some value to that. He actually posted his first above average box plus minus since 2012, 13 last season. Uh, he had a true shooting percentage near 60. And, you know, when you're, when you're posting a true shooting percentage that high and, and your role on offense is to just stand behind the line, five feet behind the line and, and be able to put up numbers that efficient, that's pretty dang good. Like you said, he probably wasn't going to give them anything defensively this season, and that's why he fell out of the rotation. And maybe Houston is just thinking he wasn't going to play for us anyway. And we've been trying to unload this contract for two or three years. And like we kind of started with this discussion, if we can do it without giving up a first, let's just go ahead and do it. Um, I I think you can tentatively talk yourself into uh, Brandon Knight. I think you can say Marquise Chris is still 21 years old. We can figure out some things with him that Phoenix couldn't. I mean, Houston is certainly a stronger organization than the Suns right now. Um, Marquise Chris as a roller, the difference between Chris Paul and James Harden setting up a pick and roll and basically anyone else in the league is in, and especially, uh, the difference between those two and, and people in Phoenix setting up pick and rolls is just going to be immense. Marquise Chris is just going to find himself all alone at the basket a bunch of times this season. Um, you know, depending on how much play play playing time he gets, um, the last thing I was thinking about, at least from the Rockets perspective that I want to talk about is if we just look at the um, Rockets offseason in totality, like you kind of said, their ceiling is lowered, I think, quite a bit initially when they lose Trevor Ariza and Lucumba Mute and bring in Carmelo Anthony. And maybe it's been raised a little bit from there, but still in the aggregate, this is kind of a losing offseason for the Rockets, right? They lose Mbamute and Ariza and what they gain, and, and Ryan Anderson, um, what they get back. Brandon Knight, Michael Carter-Williams, James Ennis, uh, Carmelo Anthony, and Marquise Chris. What's what's sort of the final uh, tally, if you will, on this offseason? It's fair to call them tentative losers, I think, right? And it's yeah, not... It's- it's not. I had someone going after me on Twitter the other day because I he I don't know he was trying to spin it that I said uh, Trevor Ariza was indispensable, which just never ever happened. I'm in, I'm intrigued because the 
the the one thing that makes me think that maybe the the Rockets could be a little better than expected, and that's where I fall. Is this is the ultimate hedge, and you know I don't, I don't like hedging. I think they're worse than last year, but going to be better than expected. Uh, their defensive rating with and without um, when they played without both Ariza and Bamute last year um, came in at 108.4 points. They were allowing per 100 possessions and it was 107.5 when both of them were on the court. And this is both according to cleaning the glass. So the drop off wasn't huge. That being said, when you look specifically at the Warriors, um, some of these teams that are going to have two explosive uh, ball handlers, you wonder how the Rockets are going to match up defensively. And that's why I think it's fair to call them tentative losers. But I really do think there's a chance that they're going to end up being better than expected. I do in turn, however, wonder, is this going to be a situation where their offense is so good that we're going to be compelled to write off some, if not most, of the defensive regression that they're bound to suffer? It'll be really interesting to see sort of what the balance is um, on our, in the aggregate. I plugged um, all these guys' wins above replacement projections into my little spreadsheet over the course of this podcast. And as it stands right now, the Rockets added 0.8 wins above replacement player uh, this offseason. They lost 3.5 for a difference of minus 2.7. The only teams that had a worse uh, difference between added and lost was the Pelicans, the Knicks, the Clippers, the Hornets, the Spurs, and the Cavaliers. Um, and I mean, <laughs> let's let's say that's literally what happens. They they get three wins worse. They're still a, a sixty plus win team <laughs> and probably a title contender because they have James Harden and Chris Paul. So maybe it's a lot of. Um, Maybe it's much ado about nothing, uh, but like you said, Trevor Ariza and, and Luke and Bob Mute played pretty big roles for that team last year, and Ariza's been big for that team for, for several years. So I think there will be at least some adjustment there. How do we, uh, how do we feel about this, this deal for Phoenix? I thought it was kind of funny that Woj tweeted, um, Anderson will be the Suns' starting power forward. The front office will continue to pursue trade scenarios to bring on a starting caliber point guard before the start of the season. As an aside, I just think it's hilarious that Woj is now like confident enough to just straight up call out what lineups are going to be. He, well, actually, so really quick before we move on to there, I've looked at shot distances from last year. Um, uh, the, Ryan Anderson, please. The Rockets had three of the top 10 players in field goal attempts from at least 27 feet. Damian Lillard was first. Eric Gordon was second. That surprised me a little bit. James Harden. Yeah. James Harden was third. Lowry's fourth. Oladipo was fifth. Ryan Anderson was sixth. So, and it wasn't even just three in the top 10. It was three in the top six, which I know their three point volume was absurd, but that's, that's hysterical. Um, uh, Oh, I found it. Here's the average distance of a Ryan Anderson field goal attempt. Um, this is wild. His rookie year, 13.3. Then it goes to 15.6, 17.9, 16.2 in his last year in Orlando. First year in New Orleans, 17.4, 16.8, 17. 
15 in his or 15.3 in his last year in New Orleans, 19.9 in his first year in Houston, and then 20.4 last season. <laughs> his average field goal attempt was 20 feet from the rim. Um, so I, that was a good point you brought up earlier that just having those guys who are willing to stand <laughs> that far out and take that shot does a lot for spacing. But like you said, they, they still have a few of those guys left. Um, I can remember plenty of attempts with, from Eric Gordon standing way beyond the line and just letting it go. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's something Marquise Chris is really going to love. And, and Carmelo Anthony probably will too. It'll be, it'll be interesting to watch. That's for sure. They're clearing out. They're going to continue just to move everyone further behind the three point line so that Melo could get post-ups. That's the new Rockets way. Carmelo Anthony post-ups. He posted the video. Did you see They're that the other four day? Guys What's, What's that? that? Did you see the video of Mel the other gonna, day? Go ahead. I was going to say they're going to have four guys, four or five feet behind the line, and Melo's still going to take away. a mid range too. Yeah, he he like there. Did you see the video of him uh, hitting like uh, his back to the basket, and and he hits like this tough fadeaway jumper um, type video, and it's I think I saw that. Yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not falling for this video again, and I'm just like, even if that shot was going to go in, Houston would literally want to blow its brains out by watching Carmelo Anthony <laughs> do that in a game. Um, but for the Suns, it was great that Woj came right out and said that Ryan Anderson is going to start at the four for them. I'm sure that makes um, Dragon Bender feel really good about himself, yeah. even though he's probably more of a five at this point anyway. I, their their front court is still really weird because you have now Anderson, Bender, Aiton, Holmes, and Chandler. I think you can argue that all of those are guys that you need to play because I know that Anderson isn't a part of your big picture. Same with Chandler, but can you really leave Chandler on the bench all season? Um, are you just not going to pay Ryan Anderson? He's not, again, he's not a bad player. Uh, he just turns in, he turned into unplayable for Houston um, in the playoffs. I know he was injured, I think, to start, but they just, they couldn't use him anyway. Yeah. Starting him at the four, though, is, it's just like, are they ever going to get to those small ball four lineups then? Um because TJ Warren should see time at the four. Uh, Trevor Ariza should see time at the four. There should be these wing heavy lineups where you're basically playing. Let's put Booker at the one and then throw Josh Jackson and Bridges and Ariza out there at the same time. And I'm hoping they're able to get to those lineups um, more, more often, or I shouldn't say more often because it wasn't necessarily an option for them last year, but I hope we see a lot of those lineups. Uh, You could also try, and get by with Anderson at the five like the Rockets did. Uh, There are a lot of different things they could do. Uh, A couple of things I think that are wild cards in this situation and really impact how you view this trade. Uh, The Suns, they have to be high on De'Anthony Melton because they took on the the bigger contract load here. And I know moving Knight um, gives you more flexibility to develop your point guards or point guard options. And now you're looking at Melton along with Woj said Shaquille Harrison is going to um, play more minutes. And then there's also Elliot Kobo, who I still like that they drafted. And as you pointed out to me last night, when this trade broke, Devin Booker probably sees some time at the one, it gives you more flexibility there. But Woj also said they're going to go out and still try and trade for a veteran point guard before the start of the season, which leads me to believe that they'll be hawking Tyson Chandler's expiring contract around and then using, uh, they have Milwaukee's wonkily protected pick, to offer maybe you're willing to trade TJ Warren at this point. They'll of course give up Dragon Bender, although I don't know what his value is. 
right now. Maybe they're even if they like Shaquille Harrison so much, and I'm I'm assuming they like Melton as well, based off what happened with this trade. Maybe they're willing to move a Kobo too. Yeah, I I'm looking at the depth charts on Roto World. I wonder who that point guard could be that they're point guard I'm going to I'm going to backtrack though and respond first to I I'm with you uh I really wanted this team to play a lot of positionless basketball and maybe they still will um Woj called out a lineup decision earlier this summer and then had to backtrack it I'm assuming when when Carmelo Anthony or Houston's people <laughs> talked to him when he said that Carmelo would come off the bench so there's you know I don't think it's a 100% lock that Ryan Anderson starts at the four, at least not for the duration of the season. And maybe we can get to more of those lineups where Devin Booker's essentially your one. And then you have three guys that are just interchangeable, two through four, Michael Bridges, Josh Jackson, TJ Warren. Um, they, they've got a bunch of those guys. I hope they do that. And, and we'll see how often they're able to do that. But I think maybe the more intriguing question now is, like you said, um, you know, they've, they've got some interesting options at point guard right now. And I think maybe the most interesting one to me is Devin Booker. But if they're looking for a starting point guard, I'm who, who's available? The, the only one that I'm kind of seeing as I scan through these teams, and you talked about it in the last episode with uh, Adam Spinella, is there any kind of a package for Kemba Walker here? Well, they could also. I think a lot of people pointed out George Hill as well from Cleveland, but it doesn't. Yeah, like that's, yeah, that's some pretty interesting. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, the packages look so weird at this point because neither Cleveland nor Charlotte is definitely trying to rebuild. They both yeah. went the other way in terms of trying to steer off that rebuild, and so even if you offer Chandler and Bender for George Hill, I don't know why the Cavaliers necessarily do that. Um, they already have a ton of bigs when you look at Larry Nance. Maybe not a ton of bigs, but unless you view Bender as a four, that doesn't really do much for you, and you're only securing then the backup to Kevin Love. Um, Kemba Walker could be interesting because, one, I think the Suns would be incentivized to give up something or take back one of Charlotte's less savory deals. Yeah, I was going to say, if there's a team that's willing to take on the bad contracts that Charlotte has, maybe it's Phoenix. And they're they're clearly invested in winning now if they're trying to get a veteran point yes. guard. Um, and they probably view Ryan Anderson as just more playable than Brandon Knight because they don't want to futz with their um, young point guards. They, they want to have the options. Or they want to make sure that the ball stays in Devin Booker's hands. And if you're going to take the ball out of his hands, you don't want it to be for Brandon Knight. Uh, you could – would you do – but it's so it's even so tough. But if you're the Hornets – would you do Bender, Warren, and Chandler for Nicholas Batum and Kemba Walker? Um, I I probably wouldn't. It just depends on how motivated Charlotte is to start over. And yeah. like you said, they they may not be at this point. Maybe they'll be closer to that um, as we near the trade deadline. But I think you know, I think that's the kind of package that they're going to have to get if they if they really do want to start over um because if if they want to rebuild unloading some of those bad contracts is going to be 
critical. And if, <laughs> if you can get somebody to take on Batum and what he has left, uh, they might just have to pull the trigger. Yeah, I get, my guess would be the Suns. I Batum would be an interesting fit there just because he fit. you're talking about positionless basketball and he kind of fits into yeah. that for them defensively. Uh, and even with his, his playmaking, if he doesn't have to be the second playmaker and can be that third or fourth guy, uh, would they rather, though, because they have Anderson's contract, comes off the books in 2020, maybe they'd rather take back a Marvin Williams or a Kid Gilchrist, who I don't think is that much of a net negative on his deal, $13 million a year. They'd probably prefer to take back one of those two-year commitments um, just so that it aligns with when Anderson's coming off the books. But, and so, because they do have to think about free agency uh, next summer, Devin Booker's extension kicks in, and they still have the means to create cap space, but replacing Brandon Knight's salary with Anderson's salary, um, that's a difference. That's going to uh, cost you about just an extra $5 million uh right there. I believe I'm trying to look at the difference now. He's making $21.3 million compared to Brandon Knight, who is going to be at 15.6. Well, Ryan Anderson will be in the last year of his deal though, right? Yeah, but so will Brandon Knight. I'm saying you've increased your bottom line by, well, you got rid of Chris as well. So I didn't factor that in. He's 4 million. So you increased it by 2 million. He was already expiring. I, I, I spaced the fact that Ryan Anderson goes through 2019, 20. Yeah. So, Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Another name for them to consider on the trade market, though, would be Patrick Beverly, just because the Clippers are are loaded with point uh, with with guards. Shea Gilgis Alexander, Jerome Robinson, Lou Williams, who played a lot of um, primary playmaker for them last year. Milos Teodosic. Uh, You have Avery Bradley, who's going to spend time at the two. Would they be? I don't know what they would want for him. And if you're the Suns, are you willing to sell solo on Bender, where it's a Bender for Patrick Beverly type deal? And if you're the Clippers, would you even accept that? Um, but that that would just be a name to watch because the Clippers are overrun with guards. And while Beverly isn't going to be that great table setter for you, he's a perfect fit to play off Booker, and he really fits with the defensive mentality that you're clearly trying to establish by. Uh, signing Trevor Ariza, trading for Mikael Bridges. And if Josh Jackson kind of improves on, on that side of, of the ball, that they could become, I won't say a good defensive team, but not by far, not the league's worst defensive team. Patrick Beverly, uh, sorry, Patrick Beverly would be a great fit next to Devin Booker. And I think it was Coles Wicker on Twitter last night was making, you know, basically the same point about D'Anthony Melton. If D'Anthony Melton hits his ceiling, that's a great backcourt partner for Devin Booker too. Either one of those guys, um, Beverly in, in reality and Melton in theory can cover the more difficult assignment in the backcourt for Phoenix and let, you know, Devin Booker conserve some of that energy for offense. That's a really interesting one to me. Um, we talked about the Clippers in an earlier episode this summer, and they're just loaded with like <laughs> decent, maybe even <laughs> good players. Um, just nobody that really jumps off the page, with the exception of maybe Tobias Harris. So yeah, they <laughs> they got a bunch of guys who should get minutes. They just don't have enough minutes for everybody. So it would be interesting to try and call that team up and see, hey, you know, what what would you guys be willing to do to get Patrick Beverly over here. Um, 
I think those are all interesting options. I don't know if there's really anybody else. They could even do, I don't know why, if the Clippers, they seem like they're kind of trying to win next season, but I could also picture them steering into a rebuild. If it was a matter of Tyson Chandler for Wesley Johnson and Patrick Beverly, maybe that's something they consider because their five options are a little weird right now. You have Marcin Gortat, Montrez Harrell, and, and the GOAT, Boban Marjanovic. So, hey, speaking of workout videos, did you see Boban's yesterday? No, I didn't. I retweeted it. He's he's playing in one of those pickup games with a bunch of other NBA players, and he's predictably just dominating. <laughs> well, I will say that uh, Boban can never be separated from Tobias Harris. I don't know if you saw my tweet the other day, but there was some fan. I was doing. I was writing about Tobias Harris, and I came across a couple pictures of him and Boban together and just sent me down a Boban Tobias Harris friendship rabbit hole. And they see, uh, they seem to be just the best of friends. They can never be separated. Wherever Tobias Harris goes in free agency next summer, Boban has to go with him. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, that's about as good an NBA bromance as we've had in ever. <laughs> um, those two are awesome together. I now I'm thinking about the Clippers roster, which is funny. We had no intentions of talking about them, but it is super weird. Um, is there anything else with the Suns that we missed concerning this deal? What, what do you see for them now? I, I don't know what they're doing. All right, I, that's fair. I kind of like when I when I saw Woj's tweet. Ryan Anderson is going to start, and they're looking for a starting point guard. I thought, why? Why are, why are you trying to win right now? Um, maybe, maybe you just want the positive experience for your young guys, Devin Booker, Michael Bridges, Josh Jackson. Um, their <laughs> potential title window is nowhere near where they are right now. So I don't know. I don't really get going all in right now it just i don't know i'm just kind of scratching my head a little bit when i looked at anderson's contract while you were talking and saw oh yeah he he is on the hook for not just this coming season but the one after that it's um it's not a terrible deal like we said at the top when i first read it i was just sort of indifferent but i don't really see the point for phoenix and like you said, maybe it's just they're really high on DeAnthony Melton. Yeah, it's otherwise why? And I know this is kind of like a, a small differential, but if you're going to, you know, you trade it out almost, looking at next summer, um, you trade it out about, it's under $20 million in salary. Uh, if if Chris's team option gets picked up, his 4.1 against Knights, 15.6, 19.7 million, 19.8 million. So you traded that out. Anderson makes more than that by himself in a nutshell um, at 21.3. And then you pencil in DeAnthony Melton. It's now you've kind of attached an extra, you know, few million dollars to your books. And I just wonder why, because it was going to be not again, not insanely difficult to chisel out um, consequential money with Devin Booker's extension kicking in. But you, you have just made it harder for yourself now. I don't, maybe they realize that they're probably not going to poach the top free agents and that's what they're thinking, in which case then this has to be about the Anthony Melton because I don't think this doesn't, does Ryan Anderson improve their front court rotation 
uh, looking at the four or five, maybe because he's actually someone they know can hit threes. You know, we don't know what necessarily is going to happen with uh, DeAndre Ayton uh, in in that sense. He he looks like he's going to be great creating off the bounce, and he just he has the footwork of a guard uh, from what I've seen of him. But is he going to be a guy that can just hit spot up threes a bunch from the outside? Is Dragon Bender even that guy? And you know, you have that in Ryan Anderson. Here's my thing for all of this. If if everything goes as the Suns want it to on the court next year, and I'm not exactly sure what they want to happen looking at this roster, what is their ceiling in the West? And then is it are they close enough to appreciably elevating their ceiling that acquiring a veteran point guard really would then help them make this measurable leap? Well, first, um, in answer to the question, like, does Ryan Anderson really help the front court? I'm not sure the answer is yes. I'm also not sure it's no. Um, but like I said earlier, I want to see minutes from Ariza and Josh Jackson and TJ Warren at the four. And, you know, maybe a little bit more development for Dragon Bender. I think it's too early to, to give up on him. And I think Rashawn Holmes could be a really, really good backup center. So they got a bunch of guys at the four and five that I would like to see play and they, you know, like you said, we know what Ryan Anderson is. So I'm not really sure uh, there, there's nothing left to learn about him. Whereas those other guys I named, there's, there's things to learn. So <laughs> I kind of liked some of the options for the front court rotation more before he came over. And I'm, and I'm a guy who hasn't given up on Ryan Anderson. As far as their ceiling, <laughs> I still, I mean, can they get any higher than 13th? <laughs> Probably not in the eyes even, of, even of Mr. Spokesperson for next year's Dallas Mavericks and Andrew D. Bailey. But Sacramento will be 14th or 15th. Sacramento um, will be 15th. I, Who's in that conversation aside from Sacramento? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess Phoenix. But, yeah, they're, they're probably objectively better than Sacramento. Um, I, I could see the Clippers completely falling apart and maybe finishing below the Suns. Dallas could finish below the Suns. Thank um, you. I am, <laughs> I am high on them, but you could see it going uh, wrong in terms of wins and losses this season. I think that's it. I don't know if there's another Western Conference team I would... Memphis, if it goes to shit? Yeah, I guess if they have health is- issues again. And that's, you know, that's very likely with that team, um, or at least somewhat likely. But I think if uh, Mark Gasol and Mike Conley are healthy, that team could actually be, you know, around 500. And I don't think Phoenix is going to get there, regardless of if they add another point guard at this point. Where where do you see their ceiling? Uh, well, that's the problem for me, is, is I'm just with you there. You can talk yourself into all those teams that, that you mentioned um, falling behind the Suns. The problem is uh, the Clippers and the Grizzlies are probably two really good examples here. When do they throw in the towel on next season? Because unless they just, everyone gets injured, they're not going to be bad from the jump. And so now you're left with, even when some of these teams start tanking, you have to make up ground. Dallas could fall in that situation too. If uh, they're kind of good, but they fall the playoff race and then maybe they try to trade some of their vets or they just don't play. Um, Harrison Barnes or DeAndre Jordan as much leading into the stretch run. 
Phoenix right now still looks like they're going to... Maybe they've elevated their, their position by one spot. There's just... They're better than the Kings, and then we just have to say they're going to be better than one of these wild card teams that that throws it all in. And if you get a veteran point guard, now we can talk about them maybe being better than... Uh, I don't know. Maybe the Grizzlies in a vacuum. Maybe the Clippers in a vacuum. And then we're just assuming that they're better than the Kings now and possibly better than the Mavericks. So uh, I don't think they've done anything special. I don't think they've elevated their ceiling much. If they can strike a trade for a really good point guard, maybe we can come back and circle this, but they are not. If they finish higher than 11th in the West next year, and that's, again, assuming they everything works out for them as currently constructed and they get a point guard, I would be surprised. And the, the final thing I'll say before we just – I'll let you put a bow on this entire conversation. They probably didn't get enough in return um, unless they really – I get they probably really like Melton – and they must really like Anderson because otherwise I don't know why you take on that money when you're helping Houston save as much cash as it did. Um, just because if you look at it, uh, what if Houston's just like, nah, we're good. We're going to punt on Marquise Chris's team option. We don't believe in him either. And so yeah. now they're really just taking back Brandon uh, Knight's salary for next season at $15.6, $15.7 million. And compared to Ryan Anderson and, Anthony Melton's salary. Now you're talking about them saving between six and eight million dollars or more, plus whatever luxury tax payments. And it seems like, given where Ryan Anderson's contract stood on the totem pole of really shitty deals, that <laughs> Houston should, uh, that Phoenix should have been able to extract some sort of pick or just something else as part of this equation. Yeah, I almost kept waiting for another tweet to come from Woj or somebody else. It's like, Oh, in addition, there's, you know, this pick going to Phoenix. So it that did was take a while to drop the actual newser. And so I was with you. I thought there was going to be like this detail in there. Um, but lo and behold, it was the Suns want to start Ryan Anderson and they really <laughs> like Shaquille Harrison. That was not yeah. what I expected. The only other thing I'll say is I, back to our conversation of, you know, how high can the Suns rise? I do think they probably finish 14th still. The world in which they get to are like around 11, like you were saying, is um, Josh Jackson makes a big leap. Trevor Ariza adds the you know veteran leadership that they expected with him. DeAndre Ayton's the rookie of the year. And I think the biggest ingredient is if Devin Booker is suddenly like the best shooting guard in the NBA, or at least in that conversation. Whoa. Ron Numbers, he's been fantastic and last year he was like you know 25 5 and 5 which is you know from just a raw numbers perspective really really good if he takes a big step forward maybe <laughs> i could see them being a little bit better but like we both said now um i think they probably finish somewhere around 14th and we've we've talked about this <laughs> for Four-player trade, which at the top we said we were both kind of indifferent to. We win an hour on it. So shout out to us. I don't know if that's good or bad that we can talk for an hour about. Welcome to the NBA in late August, <laughs> early September. Yeah. Um, a trade that we both just kind of looked at our phones and went, meh. We, we got an hour-long podcast out of it. So if you're one of those listeners who made it through this entire hour, shout out to you. Um, thank you for listening. As always, we sincerely appreciate every single listen that we get. Um, if you're not subscribed to the show, 
what are you doing with your life? Go ahead and, and make that change now. Get subscribed, rate, review the show, and uh, maybe most importantly, tell your friends and family about it. And if they're not willing to subscribe, be willing to subscribe for them. Um, until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Benno Udry and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.